Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome back to our discussion concerning Amazon and its present antitrust concerns or issues. This is Jay Levine, your host of Antitrust Law Source, and once again, I am joined by Darcy Halandoni, the author of an excellent three-part series that has been posted on our blog, and I uh, encourage everyone to visit there. So basically, Amazon grows into this behemoth, becomes this huge corporate giant, becomes its own publishing arm as well as a retail arm right uh, essentially and we, and we should note that you know over time since 2010 when mm-hmm. apple entered or when apple entered the market despite losing in this lawsuit they have taken over a greater market share of the of the ebook market just but amazon is still clearly dominant they still have 67 percent as opposed to okay. the 90 percent that they had five years ago right well they had lost a lot right after these contracts had come out because yes. it precluded Amazon from essentially being able to sell it at whatever price it wanted because it was now on this kind of the whole industry was moved to this consignment sort of system so it lost I I presume I mean again it's not up to 90 but it's on its way up is that a fair statement (laughs) it's a it, it continues to it continues to go up and down according to you know according to what the competition is but I think that would probably be a fair statement yeah yeah I don't know by the, the by the amount of uh, Kindles I see I, I can only uh, I can only imagine how dominant they are. Well, I was just thinking about this. Even if you do have an iPad and that's your chosen mm-hmm. um, format of you know ebook consumption, you can still have a Kindle app on your on your iPad. Oh, that's ironic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, not being a tablet uh, consumer myself. Okay, so so the skirmish with Apple essentially ended, you know, last year with the appeal. With the appeal. That's from the from the DOJ side. There there's still class action lawsuits mm-hmm. much of which have been settled by the publishers, but the Apple still still has to resolve those. But okay, so now let's now the attention once again is turned back on Amazon with kind of this this latest salvo and some other investigations. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Well, just sort of as the, you know, the appeal was winding down with the Apple case, Amazon entered into a very pu- a very public contract negotiation dispute with Hatchet, which is, is you might remember was one of the major publishing groups mm-hmm. that had been that was involved in the Apple suit. One one of their major lines that you might have heard of is Little Brown. Mm, sure, um, but they have several several major lines in the United States, and it's the fourth largest publisher in the United States. Hatchet was basically contending, you know, what we had said before that it needed to have greater control over the downstream pricing of its books in order to support this traditional publishing structure that it was continuing to advocate. And Amazon was saying, no, we would like to cap the price of your books at $9.99 because <laughs> that's going to that's going to be better for consumers. Right, yeah. At least, or at least that's what that's what Amazon was saying. Right. I can imagine what Hatchet's reaction to that was. Yeah. Okay, and what happened? <laughs> well, there there was a, a long stalemate and a lot of arguing back and forth during which time Amazon tried to tried to use its its market power or its corporate muscle, depending on what way you're looking at it, in order to get Hatchet to basically capitulate to what it was asking for. The way that they did that was by not taking pre-orders, delaying shipping, eliminating discounts, 
and using modified search engines to allegedly redirect readers to non-hatchet books on Amazon. Oh, that's nice. So essentially, so they were using their platform distribution in ways that preferenced others over hatchet. Um, interestingly, that they didn't just cut hatchet off and say, okay, if you're not playing ball, we won't distribute your books. Well, that's, I mean, that was essentially what they were saying, but if you're in Hatchet's position, you basically can't afford to not right. be doing business with Amazon when they've got such a large mar- market share. And you know, allegedly, according to Hatchet, their, you know, what Amazon did during the course of these negotiations impacted you know, the profits of about 3,000 authors. And during the third quarter of last year, their profits were down 18.5% over the previous year. Okay. So it's a healthy uh, slap. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So who won that contract dispute, Hatchet or Amazon? Well, one is a is a <laughs> might not be the best term. <laughs> gotcha. We don't know all the all of the terms of the final contracts, but there, okay. the stalemate was eventually broken last November, and at that point, like I said, you know, Hatchet had said that its sales in the U.S. were down by about eighteen point five percent in that in the third quarter over the previous year, and we know that Hatchet won the ability to set its own prices for eBooks. But neither side provided many more additional details as to what had caused Amazon to capitulate to that or as to right. um, what Hatchet might have given up in order to be able to have that right. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, if you have such a dominant platform and then you use it to, in a way that steers, steers, folks away from your product and that, I mean, I, I, I could see somebody complaining that that itself is an anti-competitive use of your of your market power. One thing is our listeners should know is that when you when you deal with any sort of company that has market power, in, in the European Union, they have this concept called abusive dominant position. So sort of, it's, it's kind of, as its name sounds, you're big and you're bullying and there, there's... There's something, you know, it's, it's a little bit more specific than that, but, but that has the sort of contours, whereas in, in, in American competition jurisprudence, that's not good enough. It, you really, you have to have market power, but you have, you have to be doing something not just bad with it, but something that is allowing you to maintain or grow that kind of market power, and that would kind of be the challenge there, but... You know, interestingly, Hatchet didn't run to DOJ. Um, no, and the Hatchet dispute really, what what it did was get the attention of a whole lot of authors and other publishers yeah, who I, I, weren't even necessarily associated with Hatchet, but who thought that the way that Amazon was handling it was wrong and uh, and quite for it quite frankly, scary and threatening to their own business. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, they could see this happening down the road to their own publishers, and then they would be the authors who were the subject of that sort of anti-preferencing. Or... Yeah, so last, so last summer there was a group that was formed and was spearheaded by thriller writer Douglas Preston, <laughs> who formed a group called, called Authors United, which was several thousand authors strong and included a lot of literary heavyweights, including Salman Rushdie, Orhan Pamuk, Milan Kundera, Jennifer Egan, Ursula Le Guin... Uh, the estate of Norman Mailer, as hmm. well as many, many others. So not small names here, names that the all. public really knows, who were in public protest of Amazon's tactics and were writing open letters to the New York Times, were writing letters to members of Amazon's board trying to 
get them to change the way that Amazon was handling this and who were threatening to write a letter to the DOJ. Now the dispute settled and obviously they, and well, the dispute settled last November and while they had gone ahead with making this, uh, their displeasure very well known, they stopped short at that point of writing anything to the DOJ. Yeah, well. At that point. At, at that point. <laughs> but so then fast forward a little bit, they do write this position statement to the to DOJ trying to get DOJ to investigate Amazon and obviously somehow um, sue Amazon and obtain an injunction against these types of practices. We'll talk in a minute about sort of maybe the likelihood or non-likelihood of them achieving that. But, you know, why'd they go ahead? I mean, if... if Hatchet at least publicly seemed to have won on the one issue it really was fighting about. Why did these authors care? Did they just think that Amazon maybe last lost the battle but wasn't willing to lose the war? Well, I don't know the exact reasons for the delay or whether I would assume that that would have been caused by Hatchet's settlement of, mm-hmm. the, of its dispute with, uh, with Amazon. But last month, the European Commission announced that it was going to launch a formal investigation into Amazon. Oh, that could have helped. So, uh, so like you said, there are, diff- there are different standards in Europe than there are in the United States, but there had been a very similar uh, dispute going on in Europe. Uh, between a major European publisher that really mirrored what was going on with Hatchet and the fact that as a result of that, the European Commission had decided to launch an investigation to see whether mm. their Amazon's practices were anti-competitive under European law might have prompted the authors to say, hey, yeah. that might be the case here as well. Right, right. That may give them a little bit more you know, starch in their shirts to, to go ahead and see what they can get. You know, but interesting... So what was the what is the gravitas of, of their position statement? Because it's not just about competition to them, is it? No. I mean as a matter of fact, you know, they, they list specific actions that that Amazon has taken that they claim are anti competitive. Say that it's buying out competitors, it's using its control over the book market to force publishers to publish on the Kindle format rather than on competing formats. It says that it's free riding on competitors by using a specific price check app that allows consumers to take advantage of value-added services provided by physical bookstores, but then get a lower price on Amazon. Of course. And the that Amazon misrepresented to customers the hatchet rather than Amazon had caused many of the delays or issues in shipping mm-hmm. or, the, or obtaining the hatchet books during the dispute last year, uh, as opposed to Amazon causing sure. those delays. As well as, as you said before, using the books as a loss leader. Right. But those seem to be, despite the fact that they listed all of these activities that they allege were in, are anti-competitive, the real thrust of their argument in the position statement and in the letters that they wrote to the Department of Justice, which wasn't just Authors United, by the way. They were joined by several other books of in, or groups of independent retailers and publishers, the Authors Guild, Authors Booksellers Association, and the Association for Authors Representatives. Hmm. But okay. their focus almost seemed to be more on the fact that they felt that Amazon was limiting or was, or was controlling uh, free speech by having a such a dominant market share over what materials ended up being published and sent to the electronic book market. Yeah. Now, in some respects, it's a little bit ironic, if you will, because, I mean, I guess it's you can make the argument that... Amazon publishes anything and everything, so they're actually not 
at all choosing and selecting. I mean, yeah, they were during the kind of the contract dispute, and maybe that's what they're meaning. But as a general matter, it seems that Amazon is just sort of come one, come all, whereas the publishing industry industry is fairly selective about what authors they're willing to publish. Well, and that's exactly what Amazon's position has always been. They're saying that they are reducing the price the the price of books for consumers and reducing the price for publishing, and as a result are getting more ideas and more mm-hmm. publishers published and their ideas available to the public. The position of the publishers and the authors in mm-hmm. this position statement was as Amazon extracts an ever larger share of revenues from book sales, the publisher's shrinking revenue base is already curtailing the diversity and quality of carefully written, well-edited books available to the public. So in other words, the quality of the books that are being sent to the public has been, has been diminished by gotcha. what Amazon has been doing. Okay, so it, it may be wide... De- Amazon prefers wide dissemination, whereas they're, they're preferring dissemination of better quality product, maybe. Essentially. And so the question now is, <laughs> has Amazon actually violated any U.S. antitrust laws? And regardless, have they been, if you're looking at this from a broader culture war perspective, have they really been damaging or improving the information that has become available to the public? Yeah, and by the way, just even though I I seem to um, be siding with the Amazon side, I don't mean to be taking a position. I do not represent Amazon. (laughs) Um, So uh, by by no means uh, should any of our listeners take it that way. But there's a narrow antitrust perspective that DOJ has to decide are these allegations worth investigating? But then it seems there's a broader policy, social, whatever you want to call it, decision that has to be made as to whether this is good for society as a whole, the way, and in many respects, we usually let our marketplace kind of decide. You know, we, do, we, we, we vote on political issues, we vote for our, our legislators, who then you know decide legislative matters, and in the marketplace we vote with our dollars. Exactly, and as we talked about earlier, the vast majority of the best-read authors in the United States are still those that are published by the traditional publishing houses. So, right. in a way, uh, and while you know time will tell whether this continues to be the case in the future, but Americans do continue to vote with their pocketbooks or to vote. Um, well, to, yeah, to vote with their pocketbooks in the sense that they're saying that, yes, we do prefer the writers who are coming out of the traditional publishing houses who have had their material vetted and fact-checked and carefully edited. Right. I mean, it may very well be that this ends up segmenting the market. There may be a market for premium reads, <laughs> premium books, you know, published by, you know... The, 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 the more famous, the James Pattersons, the, you know, all of the popular uh, folks. And then there may be sort of like, like there are in the movies, right? Mm-hmm. There, are, there are movies produced by the big houses, and then there's the indie films that are showed at these sort of artsy movies that don't have the wide distribution, don't have the quality of production, but have a little bit more avant-garde topics, possibly. So, it, it'll, it'll be interesting, but... Um, I guess we'll first have to see whether DOJ does anything. Exactly, which remains to be seen. Okay. And if they don't, what what are the authors... 
I mean, what other redress do they have? Congress? <laughs> I don't know. Potentially. I yeah. was going to say, or continuing to appeal to the marketplace directly the way that they have been for the last year or so. Yeah, yeah. Well, it certainly will be a, uh, a, uh, a feast for folks in PR. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's interesting. But, uh, but uh, thank you very much. This has been a very interesting conversation, and, and it certainly will continue to uh, go on for a little while, as I am sure competition and dissemination of ideas and free speech are certainly don't come up all that often and, and are certainly going to be uh, food for further discussions. Regardless I, of whether the, of how the DOJ decides to treat the investigation. Yeah, you know, because at the end of the day, you could always bring a private suit. Exactly. You know, if, exactly. if, if there's something, if there's, if Amazon's threatening to do something, they could always bring a declaratory judgment action. They could always bring, you know, any sort of action. And, and you know, certainly some of the actions that you talked about do fit within the traditional mold, you know, predatory pricing and, and things like that. So, I mean, they may very well have some, you know, legitimate beefs, even if DOJ believes for whatever reason it's not worthy of investigation. Who knows? They could always bring a civil suit and give us more to follow. Well, this has been Jay Levine and Dar- Darcy Helendoni. You can reach us always at Porter Riot, obviously. Uh, Darcy's email is... D-J-A-L-A-N-D-O-N-I at PorterWright.com. It's best to just spell the whole name. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and you could always just look up on our, our website, too. I am the letter J-L-E-V-I-N-E at PorterWright.com. I'm also on Twitter at J-A-Y-L-L-E-V-I-N-E. And you can also reach me at LinkedIn.com, as well as you can reach Darcy. Um, We thank you very much, and uh, we look forward to connecting with you in the future. Have a great day. Have a great day. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose and you should not consider it as such. All rights reserved.